It's time for the What in the Podcast. Tonight we have a long-awaited interview with none other than Lyle Blackburn. Writer, singer, songwriter, producer, actor. He's a renaissance man who runs the whole gamut of the creative field, but his favorite subjects are cryptids. Tonight, he's going to join us to talk about one of his favorites, the Arkansas Falk Monster, uh, also uh, also known as the Boggy Creek Monster. Welcome to episode 80 of What in a Podcast. Welcome to the What in the Podcast with your hosts, Kent Whittington and Adriana Mito and Tracy Lynn Hernandez. Hello and welcome to the What in the Podcast. How are you ladies doing tonight? Hello. 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 I am exhausted, but I'm here. You've had a rough day and it's not over yet, huh? Yes. That's a good answer. I, I okay. Can't how much, <laughs> I, I can't believe how much how much a small child can produce in the way of mucus. Thank you for clarifying that. That was pretty open ended to begin with. There didn't know didn't quite know where you were going with that. <laughs> but anyway, Tracy's joining us remotely tonight because she's had a busy day and she might have a busy evening. She might have to leave us. Yep. At some point during the recording, but we wanted to include her as always. So, hi, Tracy. Hello. Hey. And Adri's with us tonight too, in her usual just barely there. just barely their way. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are we doing tonight? Anybody? We have interview. Yes, we do. You had interview. True, I had interviews. She had work and I had sick, so. <laughs> you had sick? Well, I, I had plans of being there until, you know, everyone in the house is barking. And I'm like, yeah, we're not going to be able to hear anything besides children's runny noses and mom barking at her office. You feel like you're doing the work. Whoa. Sometimes I do feel like I'm doing all the work, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but yeah, sometimes. <laughs> it's my computer's being stupid. No figure. Oh well. Suddenly it decided to open a page that wasn't supposed to be open. Ah. Uh, yay. Well, to continue. Here, <laughs> here we are, yes. So continue. I finally got that interview nailed down with Lyle Blackburn. Yay. He was more than gracious to agree to an interview. However, because of his busy schedule, we had we kind of had to do it around his availability which meant i kind of had to get up at you know oh my god in the morning to conduct the interview with him but how is that any different than every other morning you get up at four o'clock in the morning well usually that has to do with the, with the animals and taking and the, them outside and the, work. and the work and whatnot but i got up for an interview so that's a little different this time but, but anyway our interview tonight was with lyle blackburn in case you're unaware of who he is 
Uh, I've got his bio here. I want to tell you a little bit about him. He's a native Texan known for his work in writing, music, and film. He's the author of several acclaimed books, including The Beast of Boggy Creek and Sinister Swamps, whose subject matter reflects his lifelong fascination with legendary creatures and strange phenomena. Lyle's also the founder of the Rock Band. Stop doing the phenomena on your head. As soon as I said phenomena, you, you do, I knew you were doing it. She's laughing. I'm tired. Weird. <laughs> anyway, Lyle's also the founder of the rock band Ghoul Town and narrator, producer of documentary films such as The Mothman of Point Pleasant and Boggy Creek Monster. Uh, he's a frequent guest on radio programs such as Coast to Coast AM and has been featured on various television shows airing on Animal Planet, Destination America, Travel Channel, Disney Science, and Shudder. He really is a renaissance man. He can do it all. He does he? it all. Yep. In his, in his uh, work with Monsters and Mysteries in America, he served as both consulting producer and special episode host. As a musician, Lyle's achieved similar success. His band Ghoul Town has released nine albums, which have not only earned a loyal worldwide following, but found their way into movies, video games, and numerous live venues across the United States, Canada, and Europe. Highlights include an invitation to write a song for iconic horror maven Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, which aired on her notor sorry, the, her nationally syndicated show, Movie Movie Yeah, Movie Macabre. Thank you. <laughs> uh, when Lyle's not writing books, hunting monsters, or performing with his band, he can be found speaking at various cryptozoology conferences and horror conventions around the United States. Just look for the trademark Black Cowboy Hat. That's pretty much Lyle in a nutshell. Um, if you go to his website, you can find a lot of, a lot more about him. Uh, all the books he's written, I can give you a quick rundown of those. Uh, there's the Boggy Creek case book, uh, which is about the Falk Monster Encounters from 1908 to the present. Sinister Swamps, Monsters and Mysteries from the Mire. Momo, the strange case of the Missouri Monster. Beyond Boggy Creek, in search of the Southern Sasquatch. Uh, the Beast of Boggy Creek. Uh-oh, we lost Tracy. We'll give it a second. I'll keep talking here. Lizard Man, the true story of the Bishopville Monster. Monstro Bizarro, the essential manual of mysterious monsters, which is basically a compilation of all sorts of things cryptid. Are you there, Tracy? I'm here eventually, in theory. That's all right. We got, you. we got your voice, if not your picture. That's all right. <laughs> I just kept on going while we were waiting for you. American Monster well, Tour. You know, yeah? It's just, it's just the computer doesn't like me. I swear. That's all right. <laughs> uh, another book he has. There you are. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another book on the list is Momo, the Missouri Monster, uh, Boggy Creek Monster, The Mothman of Point Pleasant, The Mothman Legacy, and the Bray Road Beast, and see also Terror from the Skies, and Skinwalker, The Howl of the Rougarou. So he's got a lot of books under his belt. Uh, you can find a lot of his uh, albums on his website as well for Ghoul Town. I've actually listened to some of that music, and I, I kind of like it actually. It's got, <laughs> it's got kind of a, a southern rock to it, and the lyrics are, are mostly about. 
spooky stuff. So it's fun I to listen to. I think I listened to also. one or two of the songs. Uh huh. And I want to go back and listen to more. Yeah, it's it's definitely fun fun music. So anyway, we got all that. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to get right into that interview right now. Hope everybody enjoys it. Here's Lyle. We're here with uh, Lyle Blackburn, a bit of a renaissance man in his own right. Uh, Writer, producer, actor, musician. Uh, You name it, he's probably done it. (laughs) How you doing, Lyle? I'm doing good. Sounds about accurate there. I'm sure. But the reason we have you on today is uh, you have a specialty in encrypted. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, And and the one that you seem to focus the most on we're going to talk about today would be the Falk Monster. Is that right? Right. Yeah, it's it's been something I've written several books on that subject and done some documentaries and even appear on several television shows that covered that specific Bigfoot case from Southern Arkansas. So certainly that would be something that, uh, you know, I, I know considerably uh, a lot about. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go ahead and get into it then. Um, so when did the whole thing start? Well, essentially the mountain monster as it's called, which is named for a small town in southwest Arkansas, which is located a little bit north of Texas and Louisiana, where those three states converge. Stories of a upright, hair-covered, seven-foot-tall, Bigfoot-like creature had been circulating in the area of the small town and in the Sulphur River bottoms for years, but in May of 1971, a family had moved into the outskirts of the town and had experienced some rather alarming and strange encounters with this seemingly man-like, ape-like creature, which ended up uh, coming to the attention of the newspapers and radio stations. So when that was printed, in May of 1971, that's when, you know, the public learned about these sightings and as these typically go, then others came forward in the weeks following that saying they had seen this ape-like creature near the small tributary called Boggy Creek, which snakes around the town. And then some of the old timers said, well, you know, this, this isn't the first time you know, a creature like this has been seen and, you know, encounters began to date the creature back, you know, to the 1960s, 50s, 1940s, and and earlier, Mm -hmm. um, as they spoke about this in subsequent news articles. So that's that's kind of the uh, genesis of it. And then because of the rash of these sightings and so forth, it compelled a would-be filmmaker from the nearby town of Texarkana, Arkansas, to come to town and make what he first started as a documentary, but it ended up more like a sort of a docudrama horror film that debuted in 1972. Mm-hmm. It was called The Legend of Boggy Creek, and the movie was very successful in the 1970s, made millions of dollars, played all over the country and even internationally. 
And so that what, that's what kind of made this case more famous than, say, other Southern Sasquatch reports and so forth. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I actually, I did see the movie when I was a kid, and I remember it scared the hell out of me, actually. <laughs> Uh, that's nearly verbatim what people say, you know, mm -hmm. because, I mean, obviously, you get book signings or get messages, almost everybody just says that, and it was, I mean, it was such a scary movie because it it was so realistic. I mean, it, he literally filmed, in some cases, reenactments with the people who had had the encounters, and mm -hmm. the voiceovers were... Arkansas dialect. This was very much a regionally made movie about this scary, scary Sasquatch creature, and it just—I mean, it, at the time, it literally did just scare people in the theaters. Right. Well, they actually used a lot of the uh, the locals for the roles. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Everybody, everybody in it was a local. Um, and like I said, in some cases, you know, it was just ordinary people sort of reenacting their encounters and in some cases he hired some actors from Texarkana just very amateur actors or some girls from the nearby Texas college to play the parts but essentially they were all you know these weren't Hollywood actors these were people with, with the southern Arkansas uh, accent and everything else so yeah it was just all all made by locals mm -hmm. Now, how much how much proof is there that this monster actually existed? Well, you know, the scant evidence, you know, along the lines of any sort of Bigfoot case, um, there were, uh, you know, the, the visual sightings, obviously, which, you know, range from people who got a glimpse of something to others that got a very good look and even... In subsequent years, some some law enforcement personnel, some hunters, and you know, very credible people that you know wouldn't be apt to make stuff up. Mm -hmm. And then there were some footprints found in and around the time 1971, which are strange because they're like a Bigfoot track, but they only have three toes. Right. And other. Uh, you know, various footprints that, that the locals even cast those with plaster of Paris, um, you know, which doesn't offer proof necessarily, but it, it's something. And uh, I've only seen a few photos over the years that, you know, you couldn't quite make out what it could be. Um, but other than that, you know, it's, there's no solid evidence or conclusive proof mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah uh, uh the the footprint itself like you said it had three toes uh from what i know of my research um they they, they say that uh generally speaking primates are not three-toed creatures yes i mean all all known primates creatures that are Five toes, five digits, mm -hmm. and this is just a sort of a anatomical standard. And obviously, you know, in, in my opinion, that this would, if if the creature exists and it does have three toes, this isn't a normal 
you know, normal foot because if you're seven foot tall and weigh 500 pounds and walking up right on two feet, you need all five toes for balance. So I don't think that would be a, an advantageous biological development. You know, so, you know, that goes into theories ranging from, you know, it was, it's a deformity, perhaps from too much inbreeding or, you know, it's an injury, um, or, you know, just a flat out hoax, you know, you can't right. discount that if people are starting to see stuff, you know, report sightings, then, you know, I've seen a few cases where jokesters will try to add to it, so you really can't say one way or another whether the three toes is really representative of the actual track of the creature or whether it's interpretation or something else. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, so the 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 encounter that that the movie was based on that involved uh, Bobby and Elizabeth Ford, is that correct? Yes. Okay. And, and that was you know one of the that was the original one that got into the newspaper, so it's represented in the film as that climactic ending sequence where they move into the house. And that was. Uh, uh, Bobby Ford had the main sort of tangle with the creature, but several people were living in the house. His older brother, Don Ford, Elizabeth Ford, and, uh, I mean, uh, and, and uh, the Taylors was another family. So there was quite a few people in the house at the times. So it's not just one person seeing something. It was multiple people seeing this upright creature. Mm -hmm. And, um, are you aware of their or their testimony? How it went? How it went down? Basically. Yes. Yeah. I. I. While you know, Bobby Ford has has passed away, so I, I couldn't interview him. And uh, years ago, when I originally wrote my first book, The Beast of Boggy Creek, you know, I tried to track down as much reference material and so forth. So I've collected newspaper accounts uh, where they were interviewed and, and the letters they writ, written and other statements and so forth. And, uh, I've, you know, I've got a really good account in my Boggy Creek case book of that whole incident. But it, essentially, they moved to Falk uh, around April 29th, 1971, and rented a house, which wasn't too far from Boggy Creek. And they uh, began to notice some strange things, you know, or hear things, and it appeared that something had been kind of creeping around on the porch. And uh, as the nights progressed, uh, whatever this thing was, ended up trying to get in the house and reach into the window. They saw this hairy hand come through the window. They didn't have air conditioning, and you know, there was no screen on, on it or anything, so the thing just reached in there. And then it sort of culminated on, on a Saturday night when they were all at home and this thing returned again. And this time they had borrowed a shotgun from the landlord because they had talked to him about it. And they burst out the door and kind of confronted this thing and actually started shooting at it. And that ended up, you know, you know just gunfire and the thing ran off in the woods. So they took a light and went down to see if they had hit it. And when they were down the edge of the woods and so forth, they heard all of a sudden the 
the girls back up to the house started screaming because the thing apparently was trying to get in the back of the house. So Bobby Ford himself started up towards this uh, house and about the time he got towards the porch, this thing or something came around the side of the house and attacked him. He tussled with this thing and, and uh, ended up getting free and then nearly jumping through the front door. And uh, that that was so traumatic, they ended up having to take him to the Texarkana Hospital, where, of course, they had to explain to the doctor that Bobby had been attacked by a big hairy monster in Falk. That's how the story got out, and that's pretty much what you see in the end of the movie. I mean, it's, it's you know, I mean, they paced out for dramatic effect, but it's very accurate to what the people actually reported. And now, initially, they thought this was a bear attack, correct? Well, they, they, did, they didn't really use bear as much as they, they said it, it might have been a panther. That, that was kind of the default thing to blame it on and the uh, constable had come down there and looked around the house and found what he thought was evidence of a panther living under the house. And when I say panther, that's just sort of a southern term for a cougar or a mountain lion. Right. Of which there are some, you know, that are in the area. But, you know, what, what the Fords described seeing was absolutely in their words you know it looked like it was running on two legs and it looked like a, a hairy man-like thing mm -hmm. uh, the only the bear you know when it, when it reached in the window they were sort of like well we thought it might be a, you know you would think it would be a bear but it was not a, a clawed bear type paw it was a hand okay and that's that was kind of the way they dismissed uh, you know, the possibility of a bear. And then, you know, there's all kinds of people proposing theories to explain it away. You know, they whether it was, oh, well, you were being hoaxed, or some people said it was a horse because a, a horse was found shot nearby, but, you know, it, it by no means was a horse. And, and uh, this whole thing about people trying to run them off and stuff. I mean, I've heard stuff like that, but that just sounds preposterous. You wouldn't return to the house multiple times with these people shooting at you. It just makes no sense at all. Yeah, horses generally don't have clawed hands that reach through doors or windows, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> right, I haven't seen a behold you cryptid, you know. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so, the legend goes back to the 50s and the 40s, you said, or even further back for that matter? Yeah, I, I've since dated the first sighting to in that very specific area to around 1908. Wow. And that was based on one of the locals, this Willie Smith, who kind of figures prominently into the into the stuff going down in the early 70s. He said that his sister had seen some kind of thing back when she was about 10 years old, which was, you know, put it back to... 1908. So that was kind of the first whispers of it. And then as it progresses, you know, I found people that it could, could tell me stuff from the 30s. And then once you know, got to the 40s, that's when generally people became 
that's when, if you look at most sources, they'll say sightings date back to the 1940s. But, um, but certainly then, once it got to the 40s and 50s, there were a lot more people that you can find that had, you know, encounters. So, it, yeah, it dates back as far back, really, as people were, uh, you know, getting settled into that area. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, <clears throat> what's your general opinion on the legend? You know, I, I think it's it's like any of these small town cryptid cases that you know there, while there's not a lot of physical evidence and no proof, you do have a long history of people claiming to have seen something, and within those witnesses, there are some, especially in recent times that are extremely credible and have extremely good sightings that just cannot be explained away. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the older ones, of course, you know, in some cases I could interview a few of the original witnesses or even talk to their, you know, sons or daughters about what their parents had seen. But as it went on and as sightings have since continued, you know, I've then been able to interview the first person some outstanding witnesses that, to me, they just simply saw something that, you know, cannot be explained, in, in, you know, by saying it's bears or people in costumes or any other nonsense. That I think there's something down there that, you know, um, has yet to be discovered. Now, are there still sightings today, then? Yes. Yeah, there's, there's you know, several, half dozen or more sightings a year. And so, when I originally wrote my Beast of Boggy Creek book, which was my first book that came out in 2012, when I stopped with the manuscript and so forth, the fourth publications around, was around 2010. So I had sightings going up until then, and then my new casebook, I've got sightings that go up till, well, that was last year, uh, or see, when did that come out? 2020, so, you know, they, it just has continued on, and just the same kind of thing, same kind of reports, same kind of credible people from, from the town and other people coming forward saying, well, you know, I, I saw something down there. Uh, it just seems like something that's an ongoing phenomenon. Now, <clears throat> that seems like you'd have a, a, a fairly sizable population of this creature, unless it's immortal or something like that. Um, what's What are the, the conditions like out there? I mean, is it a hard-to-access area? Yes, uh, you know, and, and I think in terms of you know, there would have to obviously be a viable population of these, you know, rather than just sort of that singular creature that is almost played up in the movie as the lonely creature. But, mm-hmm. you know, for it to be seen this long, it, and there's various descriptions of, you know, well, I, it was seven feet tall, or I saw something that was five feet tall. So it does seem like different individuals. The area um, which is uh, unfolds there around the, the town of Falk, which is a very, very small town. I mean, it's like a thousand people live there. 
it goes into the Sulphur River bottoms, and the Sulphur River flows through uh, that that area uh, coming down from the, from the Red River, and uh, it's it's all swampy bottom lands. There's a place called Mercer Bayou that looks I mean, straight out of the horror movie. I mean, it's, it's got the classic cypress trees and the Spanish moss, and it's a dark and spooky, hard-to-access place that, while over the years some of it, some of that area has been developed, it's still a lot of it. It just remains as, you know, sanctioned bottomlands. There's, there's 20,000 acres just in the, in the Sulphur River bottoms that is, you know, basically public land, something where people don't build houses or anything else. And uh, the area along Boggy Creek, you know, just snakes back to people's private properties, property that has been owned by families for years where no development, nothing. I mean, it literally looks the same now as it did in the 70s. So, you know, and I've spent a lot of time you know, camping and exploring back in there. And mm-hmm. I could say, you know, something, a small population of something certainly could, you know, live down in there. And if it didn't want to be seen, it certainly could because there's plenty of sustenance, food, water, wildlife and everything necessary to live and, and just at times you know especially in the summer when things are grown up I mean you can't even see you know 20 feet into into the thicket because it's just a twisted you know inhospitable place so it certainly uh, has the ingredients to, to host this southern Sasquatch okay now you said you've been out there have you had anything happen with you that would give you cause to think that the creature exists any noises or shadows or anything like that for example yes there's there's been several things that have happened over the years that you know i could conceivably be attributed attributed to the creature um one of the scariest was Several years ago, me and a friend of mine who often, you know, goes out uh, doing explorations with me, we were camped out there along Mercer Bayou, um, and we had a canoe, so we took the canoe um, up the bayou at about midnight um, out there, and, you know, it's, it's peaceful, but rather spooky, and we were up uh, some distance from the camp, and we all of a sudden heard this really spooky, strange howl come up out of the woods, uh, you know, some some yards away. And uh, you know, you stop, you know, when you hear something like that, and it's kind of hard to hear because there's a lot of ambient noise, a lot of frogs, and insects, and you know, your canoe was going along the duckweed noises, so we kind of stopped, like, what was that, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, then it, it, it howled again, and this time we could tell, okay, well, that's not a coyote. That doesn't sound like a fox. It doesn't sound like, you know, the, the scream of a cougar. What What is that? It literally sounded like a lot of these purported Bigfoot vocalizations. And then, then it did it again, so we heard it three times. 
know, the hair stands up on the back of your neck, you're like, holy crap, you know. Then you realize, you know, <laughs> you may think, what the hell are we doing out here, you know? That would be um, my thought, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, then it's all like, wait, this isn't a movie, man. You know, we're real life right in the middle of the swamp, which would spook some people out, I think, just the nature of going out there basically with no lights or nothing, just in moonlight. But anyway, so it kind of went silent after that. So eventually we, we just kind of started heading back to camp, you know, talking about what we heard and, and uh, you know, thinking, wow, you know, that, that might have been the fountain monster, you know, the fucking mm-hmm. green monster. And then we paddled that back, and uh, about the time we, we pulled this, the canoe out and headed back up to where our tent was, which was on this hill, because you don't want to camp on the level ground down there because there there's numerous alligators in that bayou. So we got up on that hill, and no sooner than we did, all of a sudden again we hear this howl. But this time, it came from just across the water channel where we had just gotten out. Oh, oh. very close. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was like, you know, the, the sort of your adrenaline pumped, and now you can really hear it clear and I'm just like I don't know what the hell that is but being a, being a, a rational person I am I just literally grabbed a light and ran down that hill and was trying to see whatever it was I thought you know here's the chance do or die I'm, being, I'm just going to go down there so uh, Tom was trying to get a, his audio recorder going so we record this uh, you know, sound and it was just sort of a chaos and I got down there and I couldn't see anything but you know maybe 30 40 seconds later the thing howled again but this time it had moved you know 50 yards more in, into the woods and and then again it howled even further in the woods so I never could see it and I couldn't once I got to the water I couldn't go any further because like I said it to see the bottom and there's alligators but mm-hmm. um, but yeah that just <clears> left <throat> that sort of crazy close encounter with something that you really had no explanation for and seemingly could have been this creature it almost sounds like it was toying with you guys while you were out there that. It almost sounds like it was toying with you guys while while you were out there. You know, you you move further yeah. inland and it would get closer. You go check it out and get further back. Right. Yeah. And that was kind of the scariest thing because then we we're like, did this thing like follow us down the bayou? Right. You know, it, it held up in the woods. It could certainly, you know, you could hear canoe paddles and the canoe occasionally poop hits on the side of the canoe, so it worked went silent or noiseless so if, if something was up in that area it could certainly have realized that someone was there I and mean, someone that's not you know not normal noises in the bayou so yeah it could have followed us down the creek and, and then sort of given us a warning or whatever it was doing with the house processing of commercial information is complete back to the show so um well while boggy creek is kind of your focus it's not your your 
your end all and be all. You've done other cryptids before, obviously. You've got other books on other subjects as well. Um, you've done Momo, uh, the Bishopville Lizard Man, for example. Um, what was that? You have Monstro Bizarro. Am I? Is that the right title? Okay, and that covers just a, a whole slew of cryptids. Um, now, Boggy Creek's your, your favorite, but what would be the next one down the line? Uh, let's see. I don't know. I, you know, there's there's good aspects on, on all these subjects, and certainly probably more cases than I could ever write books about. But, you know, I found the Lizard Man case to be, you know, rather compelling with a great story and and people seeing something was sort of a creature from a black lagoon which you know i'm a big fan of the of the movie so it was cool that i'm basically researching something where people in modern times in south carolina saw a creature that was sort of this reptilian humanoid thing so uh you know that was that was you know something that was similar to the boggy creek case you know it was in a swampy area, people in a small town were affected by it, and so forth. So, so I guess that would be next on the list. Okay. <clears throat> Any personal anecdotes from that one? Well, that was that was interesting because after I'd written the Beast of Boggy Creek, which, like I said, came out in 2012, you know, I'm thinking, which was suddenly. Uh, you know, I got a publishing deal, and the book was selling well, and, you know, TV shows called, and we're covering it, it was sort of the right timing, and then, so I thought, well, what am I going to do next, you know, so, so I, I thought, you know, that, that case with the Blizzard Man was cool, so I, I traveled from Texas to South Carolina to this small town called Bishopville to check into it, and where I had the pleasure of uh, spending some time with the retired sheriff of Lee County who had been there in the late 1980s uh, investigating this case. And so the, the sheriff, Winston Truesdale, shared a, a lot of his police files and all, he had collected all the newspaper articles and stuff over the years. So I had access to a lot of research material, so to speak. And, uh, you know, at the time I interviewed some of the people who had seen this alleged lizard man and uh, was able to go out in that area of Skateboard Swamp, which, you know, I, I wasn't able to visit ex as extensively as I had Boggy Creek because it was, you know, it's just further away. But, um, but I found it to be a similarly spooky area and, and uh, I had a good time. You know, spending time down there you know, researching the case and everything. Mm -hmm. Was there ever any evidence pulled away from there that you're aware of? I mean, uh, physical evidence? Uh, in that case, mm -hmm. uh, coincidentally, there was a some three-toed tracks that were found, and the tracks were uh, had been cast by some of the deputies at the time, this, this all happened more or less in the summer of 1988. These, these track castings pretty much have been ruled out as a hoax. I see Mike's kids that made these. 
other tracks that didn't, that looked more plausible, if you will, mm-hmm. that were also three-tone tracks. So those those were kind of the, were the physical evidence that was seen. You know, and, and again, it's, it's a lot of it relied on the anecdotal eyewitness testimony of various people, who, some of whom were very credible. I mean, some of them were some uh, local officials from the Air Force Base. There were uh, a kid who took a, who took a polygraph test that passed, stuff like that. So, you know, while there wasn't any great physical evidence, there was still some, you know, some compelling parts to the story. So yeah, it sounds kind of compelling. You get all those witnesses, and, and like you said, you got officials and things like that. So you got instant credibility there with them. Um. So now, I wanted to ask you: uh, you're big on on the cryptids. Did you ever? What got you started in it? Basically, is what I wanted to ask. Well, it was something that you know I just found an interest in as a kid. As far back as I can remember, I loved horror movies and movie monsters and things. And at some point, I got a scholastic reader book when I was in elementary school, and it had stories about Yeti and Bigfoot and Long Nest Monster. And when I, you know, learned about those, I'm like, wow, this sounds like, you know, real-life monsters and dinosaurs and things that people say are still living. So that really captured my imagination, and I began to, you know, look into Bigfoot and stuff. And I saw the Patterson Gimlin film on television and some other documentaries at the time. And then I saw The Legend of Boggy Creek, which you know related to my area because that was only about three hours from where I lived in Texas. Mm-hmm. So all of that kind of played into just you know, cementing my love for cryptids and particularly, you know, the kind of southern tales like Boggy Creek and just, you know, I just kind of went on from there in life, you know, things happened. I I was, I spent most of my life as a musician and, you know, touring and traveling and whatever and, you know, all the while reading books and things and it was, Later on, I decided I want to write my own book. And so that kind of then started the, my adult you know, pursuits and kind of looking back at all these things I had first learned about as, as a kid, and then now I'm looking at them from a more you know, serious investigative standpoint. Okay. Yeah, I think you and I read the same scholastic books when we were kids. <laughs> I, rem- I, I, I have a memory of reading the same book. And the book, the book that I remember most was called Strange But True, like 22 Amazing Stories by David Duncan. Mm-hmm. And it was a real thin book, and it, you know, the cover is sort of this, I don't know, kind of a childish drawing that looks like a, a Loch Ness Monster that looks like a dragon and stuff, but uh, that I remember that I have I don't know what happened to my original copy, but I didn't find another copy of it. So that stands out. Yeah, it's one of those mile markers in your life where you go, yeah, this thing, you know, that's why I write books now is because I read this. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I do remember the book actually. In my case, it was a library book, but <laughs> I do remember that cover. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, you know, libraries had copies of like Sasquatch, The Apes Among Us, and and uh, you know stuff like that. Where you know, I think at the time that was the exposure a lot of kids had to to these subjects. Where whereas now, there's a lot more variety you know, they may learn on the internet or youtube or cable tv shows and stuff like that but of course back then there was very little stuff on tv so there was you know the, the show called in search of hosted by Leonard Nimoy was was one that covered all these strange but true subjects but beyond that yeah you just had to get stuff out of the library or whatever oh yeah I remember In Search of it. it was one of my my favorite shows when I was growing up too, and a lot of inspiration for what I do now. Actually, uh, same as you, I'm sure. Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, about your your music while we got you on here? Okay, yeah, that's that's kind of a whole other aspect that that uh, I sort of juggle at this point, but. Uh, Far back as high school, I was already playing and performing bands that were getting paid and so forth, and have been in various bands over the years, and uh, got some record deals when I was in my twenties. And uh, the the band I sort of have had the longest and still have is a band called Cool Town. Mm-hmm. Cool Town is a sort of a Tex-Mex rock and roll type band with kind of a horror influence and the band has put out um, eight albums and we've over the years have you know toured in the u.s and played in canada and toured europe and things like that so you know the band is you know popular enough and we still release albums every once in a while and have done some cool stuff like um, videos and wrote a song from this Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and um, so I, I, we don't tour like we used to, I mean, we used to just go on the road and tour and stuff, but so I've kind of scaled that back, but I still do, you know, we put out albums and have bands that kind of, uh, you know, follow everything we do, so, so mm-hmm. the music has been an important thing, and something that's also fun, you know, I mean, the things I do for a living are all also just stuff I, that I think is fun. Definitely monsters to play music, so I, I try to do it all, but it yeah, gets pretty hectic um, at times between books and the music and TV show appearances and documentaries and what have you. But you know, it's all fun. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm surprised you get a minute to yourself. Well, I don't, but it doesn't <laughs> matter because I mean, what else would I be doing? It's like you know, people say you know sure and have yourself you know you gotta have a life i'm like what what other life do i would i want i mean what am i gonna do exactly this is what you want to do so yeah yeah literally you know like people people say oh you know i i hate monday mornings or whatever going to work i'm like i love every day i'll get up and you know and whether it's working on a new album or whether it's working on a book or researching a case or going out to interview people, whatever it is I'm doing, I, 
yeah, it's hard to separate that from, from life because to me that's, it's a privilege to me to be able to do it and it's super fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just the whole incorporation of, of everything you and and putting what you what you love into your music on top of that. Uh, that's just you know that's just the cherry on top I think for you. Right. Yeah. It's just you know it's you know uh, I think one of those cases where you know, I'm not the most famous or I'm not the most biggest band in the world and I'm not the best selling author of all time on Amazon or none of that, but it doesn't matter because I've always done what I wanted to do. And over time that has become successful simply because I've put my talents, I guess, into that a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, the band, uh, the band has done well. I mean, I've seen check some of our videos, songs, I mean, they're streamed and downloaded billions of times, I mean. By me, but for one, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'll see videos of people posting that are, you know, playing your song or doing their own version and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an honor and quite amazing that people respond that way and become fans and, Well, uh, at that point, I think we're, we're going to finish off here, Lyle. It was great having you on. Um, before we go, though, um, if somebody wanted to contact you, how would they do so? Uh, you can visit my website at lyleblackburn.com, and there's uh, info on you know how to find uh, the books and the music and everything. And, of course, the books are available on Amazon, and the music is pretty much available anywhere streaming platforms, iTunes and Amazon and, and everywhere. Um, and you can contact me uh, on the contact page there. And uh, there's, you know, I have a Facebook uh, author page and the band has websites, but all that, you know, you can find it at wildblackburn.com. Okay, great. Well, again, Lyle, it's been a pleasure, uh, a personal pleasure for myself. Um, <laughs> just it's just been great having you on um i'd love to have you on again sometime absolutely i always love talking about these subjects and you know i appreciate you having me on and uh look forward to uh returning in the future awesome all right well you have a good day lyle appreciate you bye-bye mm -hmm. So, what'd you guys think of that interview? It was good. I think it was awesome. I think that I wanted to, to try to be there for the next interview mm -hmm. because it, he, he, he sparked questions. What kind of questions? Well, you know, I, I want to ask him more than, than just the, the, the uh, Falk monster. I want to know about, you know, what other things he's come across. I want to, at the same point, reach out to my cousin and say, hey, I know you're in North Carolina, but since this folk monster seems to be at least a three-toed aspect of it in a couple, you know, in two different states, has it come up to, to North Carolina at all around you, even though the, 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 you know, 
you were talking about South Carolina. So I'm like, yeah, I'm just curious. I want to know more. Well, that's fair. What about you, dear? Do you want to pick Lyle's brain some more? It would be fun. It would be it would have been. I'm sorry I missed it. Mm -hmm. But uh, my body had different ideas. Mm -hmm. I hate it when it has different ideas than my mind. So what do you think about that whole three-toed thing? Well, I was talking. I think it's interesting. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we're talking about a primate with three toes. That doesn't happen in nature. Yeah. Well, are, are sloths, what are sloths? Uh, uh, They're different, different part of the evolutionary chain. No, no. I mean, what are they listed as? They're not primates, but what I'm are looking, they? Um, sloths, I think, are their own species. I'm just curious. Well, Tracy's looking it up. I am. I'm looking. Sloths are... There's a list here. Come on. But I know no, where you're going. Right with, I know. I'm looking for a sloth genius. Genus. G-E-N. There we go. Sloth genus and species. Sloths are... Brachypus. Sorry, Bradypus Linnaeus. Oh, the brave Podiate. Mammalia pilosa. What's the they are not primates. No. Like I said, they're their own genus, their own species, if I remember right. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. But the fact that it's a primate or not a primate, not the issue. I mean, you're going for the assumption that it could be something along those lines. It doesn't have to be a primate. Mm -hmm. Nobody's actually, I mean, aside from the Fords, nobody's actually really got a good look at the monster. Um. And you and I, dear, entertain the idea of it being a ground sloth. Could be. Which could fit they the were, description. They, they walked upright and they were uh, the throwbacks to the prehistoric times. Yeah. So. Um, I don't remember if they had three toes or not. I don't know, if, but I know there are three-toed sloths now. If this is a variation of the I ground. The if difference this is, between the two and the three-toed sloths. There was something I... That differentiated them, but I can't remember anymore. But if this I'm is a variation, an offshoot of a prehistoric <laughs> ground sloth, it could have evolved three toes, even if the original ground sloth didn't have three toes. And I don't, I don't know for sure if it did or not. I honestly, I, I, I see three-toed and two-toed sloths, giant ground sloths as lower classifications of them. But the high-speed maximum when threatened is point one seven miles per hour. No, they're not that fast. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> oh, but they used to be. And from Lyle's description, this creature got away with ease. Um, even when he's out there trying to hunt it down, it's, it's keeping its distance no matter how fast they're moving. So, brown sloth, most likely not. Probably not. But, I didn't say it was for sure. I'm just saying they, they're an animal with three toes. I mm -hmm, mean, it, mm -hmm. things develop differently. It could be a strange offshoot. uh, uh well, it's definitely a Bigfoot-like creature from the description. Mm -hmm. But anyway, speaking of three-toed creatures and Bigfoot, Adri, you've got a short for us tonight? Yes, I do. It comes out of my weird Pennsylvania book. Cool. Okay, well, we'll get right to it. Let's do it. Bigfoot stalks the Keystone State. Since the mid-1800s, Pennsylvania has been awash with sightings of hairy, ape-like creatures lumbering around, leaving huge footprints. Although the beast almost always gives off a nauseating smell, 
that one would think would put off most observers. The fascination with the deodorant-challenged creature remains, and new reports keep surfacing. The longest series of encounters with a Bigfoot in Pennsylvania is described by author Jan Clement in his short 1976 book, The Creature, Personal Experiences with Bigfoot. Starting in the summer of 1972, Clement's cabin in the southwestern part of the state was visited many times by a seven-foot-tall creature that was neither ape nor human. Clement affectionately called him Kong and befriended him by giving him apples. The creature's short brown hair covered his whole body, including most of his expressive face. His arms were long but did not reach below the knees, and his feet were slightly larger than a man's, about 13 inches long. Clement met the creature frequently over the space of four months until he found him dead in January 1973 and buried him in the woods near his property. However, he was never able to find the burial place again. The case for the existence of a big biped is the in the woods wasn't helped by one piece of news in 2002. It was then that Ray L. Wallace died. Wallace's employees had been the first to uncover physical evidence of a Bigfoot. Some tracks at a building site near Eureka, California, back in 1958. After his death, Wallace's family revealed that he had rigged all the evidence as a prank. It would seem that this news item would put a lid on the whole Bigfoot phenomena, and yet the reports keep coming in, albeit the creature itself remains elusive. You would think a biped more than seven feet tall would leave some evidence behind, including its skeletal remains, but nothing like this has ever come to light. Weird Pennsylvania spoke with a hunter who claimed to have seen Bigfoot. This man declined to give his name, as Bigfoot spotters often do. They are worried their reputations will suffer if they're known to have seen strange hairy creatures lurking in the dark. Well, yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> we asked our informant how he thought such a creature could evade detection. It's obvious, really. These are really smart creatures. They keep out of the way because they don't trust humans. And I don't blame them for that. I know enough guys who put a hole in one just for fame and money. That sounds reasonable enough, but why have no Bigfoot remains come to light? They must be socially organized enough to bury their dead, or maybe they live underground and know enough to crawl back there to die. But even if an individual Bigfoot goes underground to die, the tales of the creature live on. Um, and there's some pictures here of uh, three-toed footprints. So it's a bit like what we talked about tonight, then. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe, so. maybe the the fog monster is not as uncommon as we think it is. Yeah. So this one is apparently a three-toed version. Oh. Okay. Just because somebody fakes something doesn't mean something's not really out there. So. True. All right. Appalachian Bigfoot lacks underarm charm. <laughs> That's the title okay. of this one. Draw 30-mile lines from Harrisburg, Sunbury, and Pottsville, and the lines will intersect at the Appalachian Trail. It's around there that I saw and smelled a tall, hairy creature in the woods. We were hiking, and the end of the day, at, and at the end of the day, we pitched pup tents, eat dry food, and go to sleep. Well, like all hikers, we needed to go out into the woods alone sometimes to answer nature's call. One time, as I was standing there behind a tree, I heard a loud rustling in the trees. Around me, a really sickening smell wafted my way. It smelled like latrines and stale sweat and something left dead for a week in the summer sun. Oh, I could barely control my gag reflex. The rustling came closer, and I hurried to finish up so I could 
hightail it out of there. I never got a clear view of whatever it was, but through the branches, I saw the outline of something very tall. Its head was covered with black hair, and it either wore dark clothes or had dark fur. I can't swear it was fur, though I'd like to because it didn't. I, uh, I'd like to because I didn't get a good look. How tall was it? I'm a bad judge of that, but it seemed taller than most people I know. My friends thought I had just spotted a big bearded hiker who'd been at it for a while. After all, we were all pretty ripe smelling after a week's hiking, but this was a different, <laughs> this was different. I know it was. Fred Nich Nicholas. Okay. <laughs> I got a couple more here. Uh, Kong Counterpoint. Jan Clement's book, The Creature is Tough to Believe. It's a great story full of interesting details, and that's Part of the problem, it's a little too good to be true. The obvious objections are dealt with quickly. Kong shied away from metal objects, cameras, and, and anybody except Clement. So there's no pictorial evidence or other witnesses. The story ended neatly with Kong dying and being buried, but a little too conveniently. Clement couldn't find the burial spot where he returned when he returned there later. The book leaves us thinking that Kong had been dug up a nice little cliffhanger. Then there's the author himself. Clement describes himself as an earth sciences professor, but like Watergate's deep throat, nobody knows who he is. Nobody by the name taught anywhere in that part of the state. Maybe he used a pseudonym to protect his reputation, but 30 years later, the silence goes on. According to the most recent biographies, he too has died. So why is he still anonymous? Also anonymous. <laughs> so we basically got a guy who said that he found a Bigfoot made friends with it it died he buried it can't find can't the find the site now you can't find the guy who told the story in the first place yep perhaps they're like elephants perhaps it's an urban legend no 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 no, no. i'm talking <laughs> about that perhaps they're like elephants everybody's asking why they can't find i'm still got a couple more so you think there's a bigfoot graveyard there might be somewhere they may go they may take their dead someplace you you know, or they may have an instinct when they're sick or they're dying to go back wherever it is. Mm -hmm. And well, it's, you know, just, just a thought. Well, here's the thing. Bigfoot encounters are usually in the woods or big swampy regions or things like that. They're in areas where it's dense. And animal scavenge dead. Well, wildlife is abundant. Mm -hmm. And, and if they die, yeah, the animals will scavenge the bodies and in most cases, you won't find any trace as a result. Not even of people in some cases, sadly. Right, right. I mean, have you ever been out in the woods and found an animal carcass? Pieces of one. Yeah, but generally speaking, you're not, not going to find carcass, an entire no. carcass. Maybe a bone here or there. Or a patch of fur or something. Yeah, yeah. What, well, what do you think, Tracy? Uh, you know, it, from the science point of view, it takes a lot of, of luck and sheer dumb, not not fate, but uh, you know, a, a whole slew of, of, of chemical reactions fields to preserve anything. So even though it died in the forest and was buried by this guy, it might have been drug off and eaten to devour the bones because bones have marrow. But well, yeah, and if the body's not, not very not, deep enough, it's easier to dig up too. Yeah, if you don't dig, if you don't exactly, dig a I mean, grave. We, we don't have it. the complete geological or not geological, uh, histological evolution of everything because to actually get a fossil is is a you know a fluke. 
And so now we have things that we can't identify because we can't find the bones because we're not wild, or we have wild creatures in the forest that help take care of the, the, the trash population, basically. Bugs, scavengers, yep. yeah. And, and animals that are scavengers can smell a decaying carcass underground. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, easily. Easily, and if it's especially if it's not deep enough, or if it's not too deep, even if it is deep and they're starving, they'll dig it up. If, if they, they can smell if it, if they can smell it, and yep. they think it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. And again, like I said, these creatures are sp- encountered in dense forests and, and areas like that, where human population would find it difficult to get into in the first place. And they can get pretty deep in the forest, then you're never going to find a carcass or a population or anything like that Mm -hmm. because you just can't get up there or in there. I should say safely. Yeah. Yeah. Not by our standards. I mean, we're weak little humans. We are not equipped for climbing mountains without equipment and such and such. So, you know, or going into forests and surviving for any amount of period of time. Personally, I don't think I'd want to because just from the uh, the wild animals are out there. I mean, there's cougars, there's bears, there's things that wouldn't hesitate to attack you. Especially if they're hungry or thirsty. We are in such a drought, we're seeing tons of skunks around here on the road. All these little uh, adolescent baby skunks. They're not very big. They're not, I know, skunks, smelly, whatever. But, you know, they're so cute when they're little and then you find them on the streets and it's just very sad. You know, just because they're looking, mm-hmm. they're looking for water because there's, it's winter. We haven't had a lot of rain. We're in a drought. How many year drought now? I've lost track. I don't know. Yeah, too many. It, I grew up in the Bay Area and it drought always. There was never, I can remember some flooding, but I can almost always never remember when we weren't in a drought. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I have a couple more here. Okay. And I, I know we got off on a tangent, but I had a couple things to say. No, go ahead. So. It's, it's a Bigfoot night. Go for it. Sure, why not? I used, to, <laughs> I used to tell werewolf stories. Back in the early 1970s, there were rumors of werewolves in the mountains of Adams County. Every so often, when we were up Mount Holly, we'd run into somebody retelling the tale, sometimes saying that they had just met someone who had seen one, sometimes saying, I lost my, okay, saying. That Hold on, Adrian hiccuped. What? No, I, it's, everything's blurring together. My eyes are That's tight. all right. Go ahead and continue when you're ready. They'd seen one themselves. Naturally, they thought they were just telling the adult version of campfire ghost stories to scare the townies who were up for a week's trout fishing. The place was always packed with teens, especially up at Hammond's Rock, where they held parties nearly every weekend. One year, we were going up to one of the parties, going to it, so we were stone-cold sober when a huge hairy creature left out in front of our car. I wanted to call it he, though who knows what species, it, what sex or species it was, let alone gender. Any, anyway, he was bigger than a man and more upright than an ape and jumped across the road in a couple of leaps. That night we were the ones telling the, wolf, the werewolf stories, and I bet nobody believed us. Skywalker. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course he called it a he. You know, dogs are he, cats are she's, Bigfoot are he's. Apparently. <laughs> okay. You say so. But I'm all right. No, ow. <laughs> I've hunted deer throughout Indiana County, and I've never seen any big 
big feet or wild apes or anything, but I have heard something pretty strange. I was deer hunting when I heard a big rustling in the brush. The noise stopped a while and I started to line up my sights in case it was something that was in season. I waited quietly for something to happen. Then I heard something else way off to my left. A quick glance told me it was a good sized buck coming out into the trail. I swung around too fast and made it a, no a noise that spooked the buck. It took off and that must have spooked whatever it was I'd heard before because there was an almighty ruckus and in those bushes and the most terrifying scream I'd ever heard. I never saw what it was, but I've never heard any animal in the woods scream like that before or since. Mick L. Duck season, rabbit season, Bigfoot season. Sure. And the picture <laughs> in the book, the drawing here is a picture of a male orangutan. Um, it's a brown and white drawing. So well, that's not so surprising. I mean, there have been people who claim, skeptics mostly, that claim that it's probably an ape that's not an indigenous species, but maybe an escape critter or something like that. They don't yeah. usually fare well in their own out of their uh, environment. Not usually, no. But yeah. I mean, every once in a while, one might get loose and there might be sightings of it. And they don't last very long. That's because the animals don't last very long in the no, wild. No. Sadly. Mm-hmm. Anyway, was that was anything else? No, I think I'll save the interview with the Bigfoot hunter for some another night. For a second there, I thought you were just going to say interview with a Bigfoot <laughs> hunter. I, I know, but I love to hear interview with a Bigfoot. That could be interesting. There's your book title. <laughs> go go to it. So, how long have you been a Bigfoot? <laughs> <laughs> You're more creative than that. Oh, I could tell a good story about that, but you know, I'm no Anne Rice. Okay, I think that's going to do it for tonight. Um, this episode is a lot shorter compared to some of our other ones, but that's okay. That hope, happens. Yeah. No, nobody said an episode had to be any specific length of time. We've doesn't. had short ones before because life happens. That's right. But at least we did try to do something. But we hope you all enjoyed it tonight. Um, I mean, we, we don't do cryptids that often, but it's nice when we do get a chance because it's one of my favorite subjects, if it's not anybody else's. Well, uh, you know, we look forward to more stories like that in the future, and we do look forward to having Lyle back on at some point in the future, too. Yes, I would love to talk yes. with him. Uh -huh. So, for now, we thank you all for listening. We hope you continue to listen. Check our backlog too. We got a lot of good stuff going on behind us. Looking forward to what's coming on in the future. And in the meantime, as usual, stay spooky and cue the gremlin. What in the Podcast is a part of the What in the Podcast network and is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other great podcast formats. You can find us on Facebook at the What in the Podcast Facebook group. 
If you have a great story idea or have a personal paranormal event that you want to share with us, email us at whatinthepodcast at gmail.com with your story, or you can leave us a voice message by clicking the link in the episode description. If you like what you're hearing, please don't forget to leave us a review and rate us five stars. It doesn't seem like much, but it helps us more than you can imagine. What in the Podcast is also made possible thanks to our sponsors and listeners like you. Thanks for listening.